Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. It's been a while, hasn't it? I think about a month in total, and I know what you're thinking. We said we would keep this going a bit more regularly than we have. Well, it's my fault, but here we are now, so let's say no more about it and just crack on, shall we? There's lots to talk about because we haven't been here for a while. Catherine Whittaker's here. Hello, Catherine. I am here. Hello. Yeah, this is, in fact, the second time today we've tried to do this because we've already recorded the podcast once. But Brain Box of Britain over here managed to uh, uh, mess up the recording. So this is the second time we're doing it today. But this one's going to be even better than the one that you never got to hear. Uh, There's lots to talk about, as we discussed. And uh, I suppose we should start with Andy Murray, who, when we were last speaking, when I was at the Davis Cup in Umag, was uh, was no, not even d- d- David when we were last speaking it was an hour and a half ago let's let's yeah. be clear about this okay all right when we were last speaking in a podcast that people could hear before i wiped it off the computer without actually publishing it um he was he was absolutely fine by the looks of things because he was doing very well in umag helping great britain back into the world group however now he's had a back surgery since then what what do we think about that was it the right decision uh we, we, he's not going to play for the rest of the year we don't even know if he'll be fit for australia yet yeah all sorts of question marks hanging over andy murray i mean yes there's speculation about australia but you've got to think that the the decision he's made to have the surgery and the the timing of that decision is in order that he can come into the the 2014 season fresh and healthy and prepared um, for an assault on the number one spot um, and to win more slams. I think it certainly sounds rather drastic, back surgery, um, but I I completely trust Andy Murray's judgment and his decision, so I, I think it can only be the right decision. I think it could possibly have been really the only decision for him he might have been in a position where he just thought I you know I physically can't carry on like this and I do think that um, Rafael Nadal has um, set the tone um, and shown shown sporting professionals the way in terms of managing injuries and managing their bodies Um, and I think he's certainly he will have taken note of that and and made his decision um According, uh, you know, according to the benchmark, I suppose that that Rafa's laid down. Yeah, no, I think there's some truth in that. And I tell you what, listeners, if you think that answer was good, you should have heard the one she gave two hours ago. 
It's even better. <laughs> but actually, no. This one, this one had its own had its own character, and uh, we enjoyed it. So I won't speak about the podcast that I wiped off the hard drive about two hours ago anymore. Uh, but uh, the. The, the situation is that we don't really know how Andy Murray will be. He doesn't know how he'll be until he starts playing the game again because he hasn't been able to train properly yet or anything like that, hasn't been able to hit tennis balls yet. And someone that knows what surgery is like, Tim Henman, told me a few weeks ago that the first stage is to get over the physical problem. Then you have to get over the psychological problem in terms of believing that you're okay when you go up to serve again. In his case, it was a shoulder injury. In Andy Murray's case, it's a back injury, and the back impacts on just about every shot that there is in tennis. So there's a there's a double recovery that has to be made in certain respects. But as you said, mm. Nadal has shown but, the way forward. Yeah, particularly for a player like Andy Murray, I suppose, who's, who's the mental aspect of the game seems... I mean, he's obviously far better than he was, and um, generally speaking doesn't seem to affect him nearly as much as it used to but certainly the mental aspect does weigh heavy on his shoulders at times I think and you know there's perf- there's countless pieces of evidence of, of even the great players being hugely mentally affected by having had injuries um, you know Stefan Edberg's back injury springs to mind his well I know he had to completely remodel his serve but um, I'm sure a large aspect of that was mental as well um so uh, i can only assume that he's made the best decision for him i don't know whether his hand was forced and he physically couldn't continue without having the surgery or whether it was more of a measured he knew at some stage he was going to have to have the surgery and he calculated that this timing wise would be the best opening i don't know i only hope that it is a lasting solution to his his physical problems it brings me on to one of the questions that we've asked our listeners on uh, Twitter at Tennis Podcast uh, the last week, and that is: Will Andy Murray ever be the world number one? Uh, I think he will. On balance, I don't. I, I think you know. I've, I've mentioned several times in the past on the podcast how much of a factor. Um, luck and timing plays in in being world number one. Leighton Hewitt is always my my case study, um, but there are others, and I think that um, it's not like the men's game at the moment. There's there's a group of young up, up and coming players that are threatening to win slams and nipping at nipping at the top players' heels. I do think they have a bit of a wide berth and room to breathe um, in that respect, and certainly in a few years' time whether it's two years' time or four years' time, Federer and Nadal aren't going to be the threats that they are now. So if he can just hang in there, I think Djokovic will remain the threat. But I think he'd be unlucky if he can hang in there for a few years at the level he is now. I think he'd be very unlucky not to have at least one stint at world number one. But at the same time, of course, we don't know actually how he's going to recover yet. Uh, Keith reckons on Twitter... He will be world number one, but only very briefly. Toby Nelms says he needs to improve on clay first, and out of the current top ten, Murray and Songer are the only two who have never won a clay title. Gareth Griffith says that he needs to dominate a six-month period, which he hasn't done before, but he thinks he can, and that he will do it. And I actually share that belief, and partly because I think that Andy Murray is somebody who is a student of tennis, and he watches objectively the way things are going for himself and for other players and he learns i think he learned 
how to win Wimbledon by trying and failing. I think he's learned to, to win the US Open by the same method. He's got to finals. Then he's figured out, right, well, I got to the final. That didn't work out. What do I need to do next? And the employment of, of Lendl is, is a big part of, of mm. that evolution. And I suspect that eventually he'll figure out how it is that Novak Djokovic manages to do what he's doing in as much as he withstands disappointments, he gets to Grand Slam mm. finals, but then when that doesn't work out, he comes out and he wins Beijing and, and Shanghai back-to-back, which he's just done. It's an extraordinary a feat of, of, of endurance, but also of mental strength as well. And I, I think Murray will eventually figure that out and, and have his day. That's a very good point, David. That's not a point you made in our uh, dress rehearsal podcast. This is no. like podcast 2.0. So this one's better. See, it's bigger and oh, better. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the two listeners that we had for the other podcast, <laughs> you and me, can state categorically that the other one was an absolute road of rubbish. But this one's really good so far. I hope you're enjoying it back home. Now, uh, Laura Robson, uh, we will talk about in a moment. We will also talk about... Uh, Rafael Nadal. We'll talk about Roger Federer. And we'll talk about some of the young female players on the circuit as well because we're building up to the uh, the world tour finals on the women's side the year-ending championships in istanbul starts next week and all of the main top players are there apart from maria sharapova but we kind of want to concentrate on the next group down the the young up-and-coming players eugenie bouchard and sloan stevens laura robson madison keys players like that uh, but just a, a little heads up that at the end of this podcast we'll actually have an interview with Mark Rosse the Swiss player six feet seven inches tall and uh, he retired about seven or eight years ago but he was an Olympic gold medalist and he was the first final opponent of Roger Federer in an ATP ranked final and he actually beat Federer 7-6 in the third so he tells us his memories of his countrymen and when he first met him and what he was like and it's it's really quite illuminating so hang around for that but uh, first of all as we mentioned the the young female players uh, Catherine Eugenie Bouchard Sloane Stevens Robson Keys, and Barty of Australia as well what, what do you think who's going to be the one out of that group that comes through and wins the most and I've got some insight from a couple of ex-players who I spent some time with while I was commentating for BT Sport on the WTA finals so or, or tour rather in Beijing a couple of weeks ago and, uh, and I'll let you know what they think but let's put Catherine Whittaker <laughs> on the spot first yeah because because predictions in the women's game have always proven to be my uh, my speciality, haven't they? So predictions in general, you're just an absolute barnstormer at them. So I'll be there. I aim to please. Um, well, uh, it's a pretty impossible question to start with. I mean, we can look at the, no, the come on. In terms of raw raw skills, raw ability, um, I, I have to say, I've seen Jeannie Bouchard is the one I've seen the least of. I've seen snippets here and there and I've been very impressed and I can see that there is a lot of talk around her at the moment. It just seems that in the past couple of months, talk around Jeannie Bouchard has really gathered some momentum. Um, So she's the one I've seen the least of. Um, Of those four... Um, others. Ash Barty, I think, is just one step behind the others. Not that she doesn't have... um, the materials there to to potentially be a champion but I, I do think she's just one step back at the moment I think she's just got a bit more maturing to do I really like her game she's got a very um uh, almost a slightly old-fashioned game I suppose it's certainly good to watch um of the others um in terms of results Law Robson and Sloane Stevens are half a step ahead but they are just going through that tricky phase the transition phase the the difficult second album to use a music analogy 
Um, and I think they're both finding it tricky. Laura Robson perhaps more so, as reflected in her slightly tumultuous um, coaching situation at the moment. Madison Keys, Which we'll it, come on to. Which we'll come on to, exactly. Madison Keys looks, I mean, looks to have absolutely everything. Um, and it seems only a matter of time before she makes a breakthrough. Um, Sloane Stevens, I think she has reached a level, a very impressive level, and I think she will be a top ten player. I'm well, not she's sure. She's the most she, advanced, isn't she? She is the most advanced, but looking at how much further they have to go, uh, you know, I see Sloane Stevens as a very solid top ten player, top five player. Whether she has the potential to 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 reach the heights of a Laura Robson or a Madison Keys, possibly not. Ooh, but she's that's a very controversial one, Catherine well, Whittaker. It, it, uh, we're talking about potential, aren't we? Uh, it, that's all. Uh, which, which you know, let's look at he who shall not be named. Um, G- no, let's not look D. at him. Um, you know, potential is in the shake-up can be utterly meaningless. But you know, I'm only talking about potential. She's obviously an incredibly impressive tennis player. I'm talking about you know the the extra 0.5 percent. You know, the very very margins of the game. I suppose you think she lacks that. I don't know. I don't think she lacks anything. I'm I'm saying that we, we might be seeing there might be less to come from Sloane Stevens than there is from the others. The others are a bit more of an unknown quantity in terms oh, of what okay. they can achieve. Right. So we've seen what Sloane Stevens has got. Well, let, let me give you a bit of insight from people I spent some time with at BT Sport and Anne Kiothavong and, and uh, Sam Smith and Nigel Sears know the women's game inside out. Uh, Nigel Sears and Sam Smith were very keen to point out that Eugenie Bouchard a player I have to say I've only seen a handful of times myself but but, but uh, have been impressed with but they made the point that mentally she is solid as a rock and she withstands disappointment, she will not go away uh, and, and it will really promise to be a, a, a very successful career off the back of that as much as anything else uh, I think the, the the most fascinating one for me was Anki Othavong, who was who was a hundred percent convinced that Madison Keys is going to be the best of the bunch. She Very feels that she that. she's mm. got got the lot in her opinion, which is pretty much much what you said. And I think she spent some time with her practicing when Keys was a very young girl and was hugely impressed by her attitude and application as well. So. It's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see which of that group comes through. I mean, obviously I'm a little biased being British and enjoying watching Laura Robson's game, but I think the jury is out simply because even though she can beat all the top players, I don't think she does necessarily have that cast-iron certainty that she has to be the best player in the world and she will stop at nothing to do so. I think that she's she's discovering herself, and on that journey... Mm -hmm. You know, we yeah. have the, the question. Americans of the coaching, a lot, are a lot they? better at that certainty and belief than than we Brits are, aren't they? Well, speak for yourself. I, I, I still <laughs> believe in myself and my ability still to get believe. to the top of the world rankings. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Keith, who was on earlier, uh, has says that uh, Jeannie Bouchard and um, Madison Keys will both win multiple Grand Slams. He also says that Sloane will win a slam or two, Sloane Stevens that is. Laura Robson will win the hearts of the British public. 
he says. Don't know where yeah. Keith's from. The, cons- anyway. the consolation prize, as it yeah, were. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Hearts and minds. Uh, Adrian, who is at Chalk Flew Up on Twitter, says you, you'd think that Keys would win a, a US Open. Um, Barty will win Wimbledon, this person says. And, uh, and really any of the Grand Slams will be won by Bouchard because she's that good. So there we are. Wow. Fascinating. Laura Robson, coaching situation. Over the past year, she's had two. She's had more than that in her career. She's had Jelka Kryan, who, who we had uh, on the, the podcast a, a year or so ago. And uh, she's had Miles McLagan for six months, who I thought was a... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Very good appointment personally, but hasn't lasted long, and um, and he's no longer coaching her. Mm. So broke up with next? him over the phone. Really? Oh dear. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I suppose you've got to do it's it somehow. It's a brutal old world out there. Better than text. It marginally better than text. Yes, that's about the nicest thing that can be said. Yeah. I think. One, one, one day, somebody will dump their coach on Twitter <laughs> and actually just do it publicly. And just That's just the way that. the world's going, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, who's the next coach for uh, Laura Robson? Who, I mean, Thomas Hogstead, former coach of Maria Sharapova, is being mentioned a lot. Nigel Sears, as I talked about earlier, great record with Anna Ivanovic and Daniela Hantikova. And I can speak personally that he's an impressive guy and uh, he would certainly have something to offer and uh, and what about Martina Navratilova one of the greatest left-hand players of all time who and this is name dropping central from me right here uh, told me on five live during commentary at the US Open that she would love to do what Ivan Lendl is doing and coach a top player or uh, somebody with the potential to be so well people are certainly jostling for position aren't they Uh, uh, and she is, understandably is she? so. Frankly, though, um, I, I, I didn't know that uh, what Martina Navratilova had said to you until we recorded the podcast first first time around. Obviously, um, frankly, if Martina Navratilova really did throw her hat in the ring, um, look no further. I mean, why why would you look beyond her? I, I think she'd be a sensational choice. Yeah, um, but but Lewis Hamilton's a great driver, but I'm not sure he'd make that good a driving instructor. 
Well, do you not think that I'm not going purely on her Grand Slam record? I'm I'm going on my knowledge of her and my experience of her, and and I think. Which is quite quite considerable, isn't it? Because you've spent some time with her at the Australian Open, arranging yeah, various and activities. She, of her. I mean, what, what is no she doubt like? she's a formidable woman in the way that Ivan Lendl is a formidable man. But I think that could be exactly what Law Robson needs. I think it would be an incredibly brave appointment on Robson's part um, because she'd be um, setting herself up for a, a difficult and challenging um life I suppose but I think that's exactly what she needs um, and but then again when when Miles McLaggen was appointed everyone said yeah you, you know as did we we thought yeah this is great you know he's easy to get on with that, that you know they should get on well but he'll also work her incredibly hard which is what she needs and and it just hasn't stood the test of time one bit um, so I think firstly let's not put and hope that she's not putting too much emphasis on who her coach should be because some of the improvements have to come from looking in the mirror, I think. Um, but then, you know, Andy Murray is testament to the fact that a, a coaching appointment can make the crucial difference at, at, in terms of success at the top of the game. So if if Martina Vasileva really is interested, how could you not consider her for well, that Well, I, I should just add, she has not said that she's interested whatsoever. She, she's really <laughs> said in commentary two months ago that she'd like to, to, to do some coaching of a top player. She wouldn't want to do some, you know... But what, what if she really was interested, what better candidate would there be for her? Oh, well, I, I, I do. I mean, I think it would be fascinating. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I'd be right behind it in terms of just, just curiosity value and I, I know what you mean if you're going to listen to Martina Navratilova aren't you if, if that, that that is the absolute certainty mm. you, you'd mm. give everything and I think she would only take it on if she thought she could make the difference and carry a player to the very top the way yeah. Lendl did with Murray although I, I really should state that we'd, we're not putting the two in the same bracket really because obviously Murray had been to slam finals before he hooked up with with Lendl. It is a very different situation. Mm. But anyway, it'll be it, it you know we, we've got to find a way to it, to get this question to Martina. <gasps> Twitter, Twitter could be that she's on Twitter, isn't she? She is. Yeah. All right. I'm sure she'll respond Everybody, to anything. The spam tennis Martina Navratilova with questions about uh, <laughs> about Laura Robson. See, she fancies it. Anyway, we shall see. Um, we uh, we also have had. Uh, our our project, as uh, as Catherine has discussed, uh, he who shall not be named until he wins uh, an ATB Tour title, uh, change his coaching situation. He's now no longer with the Good to Great Academy, um, which was uh, Michael Tilstrom, wasn't it? His his direct coach. now named the Good to Slightly Less Good Academy. That's a bit harsh. No good. They're, look what they're doing with Stanislas Wawrinka. Uh, oh, no, I, I, that was that was a flippant. Um, humorous comment based only <laughs> on the recent record of though. he who shall not be named yeah I, sa- yeah, well, I sacrificed uh, factual anyway. accuracy for the sake of for the sake of comedy yeah it was a it was a good line so uh, anyway certain player as we've discussed is uh, is now being coached by Roger Rashid um, uh, who has coached Leighton Hewitt and Gamal Feast and Joe Wilfred Songa so it'll be interesting to see how that evolves and he who shall not be named is currently one set all with David Ferrer in the Stockholm final and 3-2 down in the third. So maybe in about 20 minutes we might be able to actually name who it is. 3-2 anyway, down, is it on serve? Uh, it is on serve, yeah. Ooh. You tense. Ooh. 
I have to yeah. say, I didn't think it would be as close as that. No, no, it'll be very interesting to see what happens uh, with that. Uh, now, uh, final question before we get on to uh, Mark Rosse, who's going to be talking Roger Federer and all that. Uh, Roger Federer is the subject of said question, should he retire? Is it time to hang it up, say, you know, it's not going to get any better than this, I may risk tarnishing my reputation, so it's about time I, I, I got out of there. Or, or A, are his are some decent days still ahead and B frankly should he just be able to do whatever the heck he likes he's earned the right of course he can do whatever the heck he likes we're not suggesting that he's gonna take his lead from from what anyone on the tennis podcast says and and actually listen to us we're just speculating about what we think would be the right decision for him so yes of course he can do whatever the heck he likes I don't think his reputation can be tarnished frankly and I think actually if you look back through the history books there aren't that many greats that got retirement absolutely right I mean Sampras obviously lucked out on the retirement front and it could not have worked out better Um, Bjorn Borg retired at his peak but probably sacrificed a number of grand slams that he could have won in the future as a result it's very difficult to get right John McEnroe didn't do retirement particularly well Um, And I don't think anybody really remembers that when they think about him now. I don't think they think about, you know, the early 90s when he was really very far off his his peak. Um, So possibly for for a few months, a year or so after when he does retire, people think, oh, it would have been it's a bit of a shame to see him not his peak. But really, um, when all's said and done and you're looking back, this isn't this is. Not barely even a footnote, I think. No. And you know what? It, it is still a pleasure to see him hit the ball. I don't care whether he wins titles or not. I still enjoy the process of watching him play tennis. So long may it continue as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we, we have questions, we have answers here. Um, Babbling Brat on Twitter says uh, re- the reduction in success now does not negate past success. He should do what he wants. Uh, Fiona Lamb said he should retire tomorrow. He's done. Enough. It's a bit harsh, isn't it, Fiona? Goodness me. Anyway, well, we don't agree with you. Uh, and Daniel Henry says he's got one more major left in him. If Murray misses the Oz and Fed gets the kind draw away from Rafa and Novak, you just never know. So, we watch with interest, Catherine. We watch with interest. Let's hear a few anecdotes, shall we, from somebody who knows him from his very early days. Mark Rosset, a an Olympic champion in 1992, uh, played Roger Federer in Federer's first ATP final in Marseille in 2000 and remembers him from when he was very, very young. I remember, you know, first time I, I practiced with him. He was in Geneva and he was uh, the the new talented guy, you know, in Switzerland. And uh, But he was so lazy. <laughs> And you know, usually when you practice with a guy who's on the tour, you know, you're young guys, you know, you want, you're a little bit stressed, you want to, 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 to play good, you know, you, you, you're very nervous. And the guy came on the court like he, he didn't care at all. I was like, wow. And uh, he was a pretty relaxed guy. And, uh, but he, he's, a, he's a nice guy, you know, when he came in, in, into the, the, on the tour, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that he, he feel comfortable to show him, you know, with the life on the tour, uh, giving him tips, you know, and uh, and uh, yeah, I was like, uh, I felt like a little bit like his big brother, you know, to 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 make him feel uh, nice, and uh, but he's a really nice person. I think if anybody who saw him today was told that Roger Federer used to be lazy, they'd be surprised. But obviously, you and I remember him a little bit differently from when he was younger. He's changed a lot, hasn't he? 
Yeah, it did change a lot. You know, it changed a lot. Uh, the, the, the first change uh, was uh, a pity story. It was uh, when his uh, former coach Peter Carter passed away, and uh, I think that you know, then since then, you know, I think he was kind of. Uh, it's like if he was on a mission, you know, to to succeed, to achieve, to to do some great things in, into the game, and uh, and then also the, the, it changed a lot. Also, when he started to work physically with Pierre Paganini, because. For example, his backhand was very weak, and uh, by working a lot physically on the footwork and this, it became a good weapon. But technically, the the backhand was good, but it just the, the matter of how were you, the position of your feet, and uh, and he became a real athlete. And uh, but still, I'm still amazed, you know, because he's the kind of guy you you can see him right after a match and give him some uh, bad words. <laughs> And uh, and he still take it, you know. Very, you know, he's a nice, nice person. The thing is, when he was young, I mean, it took him a while to mature as a man, didn't it? Because he was he was only 16 when he made his debut, and and I suppose it's not that easy to to take it all in your stride when you're that young. And 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 he, I remember him having quite a quite a temper on court. I remember you playing him in London in February about 12 years ago, and I remember you beating him and. He smashed his racket, and he was really upset after that loss. He was almost in tears. Yeah, he was a very temper guy, and uh, and uh, like I say, you know, right after the, the Peter Carter passed away, I think he, he changed, and also he worked with a uh, uh, you know like a guy for his brain, you know, to 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 behave better on the court, to be more focused, and uh, and he get quite mature pretty quick after that. Even despite all of that, could you have imagined back then? That this guy could win 17 Grand Slam titles and be number one in the world for 300 weeks, six years. <laughs> no, no, because you know, like the the, the first time I, I play, me was final in the in the tour event in Marseille, and uh, I won 7-6 in the third. And I remember it was his first final ever, and he was crying. He was crying, and he was crying at the at the ceremony. And uh, I was like, "Come on, don't cry." So yeah, but you know, maybe it's my first final, and uh, maybe I won't play another final again in my life, and I lost it. So I say, relax. For sure, you're gonna play other final. For sure, you're gonna win tournaments. But I could never imagine that he would have won, you know, 17 Grand Slam tournaments for sure. Grand Slam maybe 17 for sure not. What was your key to beating him twice in a row? What was your key? What did he not like about he, playing? He was you? killing me from the baseline. So then I start to to to, to serve and volley on his backhand to 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 put pressure and. Uh, and I was quite lucky, you know. But uh, after that, the first two times I was lucky to beat him, and then uh, the next two times he kills me on the court. <laughs> How much, m- many more years do we do you think we may be able to see him out here? I think you know now the the, the, the tour has been changed a lot because if you see the average uh, year of the players is uh, 27 on the tour, is much older than uh, on my time, and you see many guys, you know, over 30 who still are very good in shape and playing good tennis. And I think that you know indoors is uh, he can play another ten years because you know the, the the indoors courts you know suit his game perfectly well because uh, he's not the most powerful guy. I mean Berdich, Tsonga, Del Potro, you know all those guys they can really hurt him physically and with the power. But in indoors he can manage to take the ball so early because he has no bad bounce, there is no wind, so so he can take the ball as quick as nobody else can do. And then he can compen- uh, compensate this uh, lack of power with this uh, speed. So I think in indoors, he's, that's why he's winning everywhere here in, the, in London. You know, he, 
uh, all the indoors tournament for him it's, uh, it's almost not too easy but he still have this uh, march against the other players then it became more more difficult for him on uh, outdoor you know because uh, 31 best of five sets still these guys are tough aren't they Djokovic yeah, yeah, and Murray yeah, in the yeah, down yeah it's gonna be it's, it's getting tough but uh, the question for him is just uh, will he accept maybe in two years three years to be number five or not because one day will be number five one day will be number six number seven so will he accept that or not if he accept to be maybe one day number five he can play another five years well, as we now know, Federer is even lower than number five. He's down at number seven. But if he could rediscover that form and fitness, I'd certainly not say no to another five years of Roger Federer, wouldn't you? Well, I'm now recording this bit of the tennis podcast a good few hours later than when I spoke to Catherine earlier today. Why? Well, because the Stockholm Open final is over. The winner is the man who would not be named until he had won his first ATP title, and he has done. Well then, Gregor. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 